0: Are you willing to examine the traditions and doctrines that you trust in for your eternal salvation? Welcome to the Great Deception Podcast. I am Don Britton and I will be your host. I will be comparing the modern traditions and doctrines of American Christianity with what the scriptures actually say. You may be shocked to find out that much of what is commonly believed in American Christianity today is nothing more than myths handed down to us by men. So please join me now with an open mind. Good morning everybody. I just wanted to talk to you today about a few things on my mind. Um, You know, we live in some really bad times, uh, dark times. There's a lot of influences of the world and there's a lot of stress and distresses going on all over and people and, and even among us sometimes we have concerns and distresses and we get a little anxious and concerned about the way of the, the world is going. Uh, our country is going; it's falling apart, it seems. And and um, and sometimes we get too caught up in the things of this life and the things of this earth, and we don't keep our minds focused on the things above and what's really going on for the long term with the Lord and and with our hope and with and with our future. So I just want to uh, talk to you today about concerns that I have uh, because of these times we live in and what what can happen among us and with us sometimes that's this really dangerous and uh, and the truth is sometimes I've seen some of these things happen among us here in our small church and and uh, and even recently we've had some issues come up with uh, uh, some of these problems that I'm going to talk about today uh, I call them I'm going to name today's message the three most deadly sins, and it doesn't mean that there's not other deadly sins by any means, but just the three that are on my mind, and um, and so I want to talk about that today. You know, a lot of times we think about uh, the most terrible sins, or the or the most disgusting things that we see in other people. Their sins, you know, how disgusting they can be, or or even what we would consider to be the most deadly sins by what we see in somebody else. Uh, We usually think about other people's sins rather than our own. You know, that's just a kind of a human nature type of thing. We kind of see others worse than we are. And uh, this is exactly what the Pharisees were like, you know, when Jesus came and uh, he ran into all kinds of people, of course. He ran into people who were uh, sinners and people who were uh, the religious crowd that thought they were not sinners you know they, they thought they were better than other people so the Pharisees they were real self-righteous and they viewed the tax collectors and they viewed the uh, the prostitutes as being the worst of the worst you know and and the reason they did that is because they, they consider themselves to be so holy and so self-righteous and you know They looked at it like this. (laughs) Look at what they do. We don't do what they do kind of thing. And so you got to watch yourself that you don't have that same attitude coming. You well look at him or look at her. Look how she is. I don't do what she does. I don't do what he does. So um, so anyway, we got to be careful that we don't become like the Pharisees in that. But here's the truth. Jesus said that the tax collectors and the harlots would get into the kingdom of God before the religious people would, before the Pharisees would. And the basic reason is this. The Pharisees had a real problem with unbelief. They didn't believe that they needed God. They thought they already had everything they needed. They didn't believe there was anything wrong with themselves. They thought they were just fine like they were. Uh, And the reason why the tax collectors and the harlots could get in the kingdom before they would, because the tax collectors and the harlots knew they weren't weren't, uh, righteous. They knew they weren't holy. They knew they needed help. They knew they needed God. And so Jesus reached out to them uh, to try to show them the way when the Pharisees, he rejected them. So it's just uh, the problem with the Pharisees was that they just didn't believe they didn't believe jesus when he came they didn't believe the word of god because they had the word of god but they didn't believe believe that it applied to them and they were so hypocritical and so self-righteous because they did so much of the quote law things and they did it according to the law rather than having a heart for god and jesus said you know through the prophet says you know they give me lip service but their hearts are far from me and he was talking about them so I'm just going to say then today, you know, I've, I've said that today I'm going to talk about the three most deadly sins. To, so I'm going to say that the, the number one most deadly sin is unbelief, uh, because <laughs> obviously... If you don't don't believe God or you don't believe his word or you don't believe you need God or you don't believe that you can trust God or you don't believe that God is going to deliver on his promises or you don't believe God is who he says he is. I mean, how can anything be worse than that? How can anything be more deadly than that? So in John 3, 36, here's what John said. He said, he who believes in the son has eternal life. So, but he who does not obey the son shall, uh, will not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. Okay. Here, here's the thing. You, you can believe in God here, but if you don't obey him, you don't really believe in him here. And so to say you believe in God, but not obey him is nonsense. So what John is saying is you can say you believe in God and you may actually mentally believe in him. You may believe in his existence, believe in, you know, whatever facts about him, but not to obey him, you don't really believe him. Okay, so and James uh, kind of puts, puts it in a different way. James chapter one, he says, therefore, therefore, putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness, in humility receive the word implanted, which is able to save your souls. But prove yourselves doers of the word and not merely hearers who delude themselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks at his natural face in a mirror. For once he has looked at himself and gone away, he has forgotten. He has immediately forgotten what kind of person he was. So if you don't, if you don't do what God says, I mean, if you just hear hear the word, and 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 I've watched this all my spiritual life. I've seen people sit and hear the word you know, say, oh, that was a good message. Uh, That's really great, but not do anything with it. And be instructed over and over again in the things of God, but not really be doing anything with it. They're hearers, but they're not doers. And if they're just a hearer and not a doer, they are deluding themselves, which means they're getting nowhere. They're actually becoming deceived. So, We've got to do what God says or, we're not, or we don't believe. So uh, there's, there we go back to unbelief again. So if we're not doing what God says, we are living with unbelief. We're, we are unbelievers. So, so believing is really doing the word. It's being a doer of the word, doing what God says, not just hearing about it. And Jesus said in Matthew seven twenty one, he said, not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of the Father who is in heaven. He's the, he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven, he's the one who will enter, Jesus said. So it's not about, you know, it's not about, oh Lord, I believe that, oh Lord, that's good, oh Lord, your word is true, but it's about the one who does what God says. Again, unbelief is really disobedience. If you want to just narrow it down to that, to be an unbeliever, is to not do what God said. That's as simple as I can put it. Also, I'll I'll read to you in Hebrews 3 about unbelief again. Hebrews 3.12, it says, Take care, brethren, that there may not be in any one of you an evil, unbelieving heart that falls away from the living God. So he's warning the brethren here. But encourage one another. Day after day, as long as it's still called today, so that none of you will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have become partakers of Christ if we hold fast the beginning of our assurance firm until the end. While it is said, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as when they provoked me. For, for who provoked him When they have heard indeed did not all those who came out of Egypt led by Moses and with whom was he angry for 40 years was it not with those who sinned whose bodies fell in the wilderness God wiped them all out and to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest but to those who were disobedient. So see, what he's saying is an evil unbelieving heart is a heart that's disobedient. It's the same thing. So there's the unbelief. Not to obey God, not to believe God, not to trust God, not to follow through with God, not to follow God, not to obey his word, not to seek God, not to study his word, not to apply his word to your life. That's all unbelief. So he goes on in verse 19 to say, so we see that they were not able to enter, that is the ones who were disobedient, they were not able to enter because of unbelief. So he's saying, brethren, take care, there not be any of you found with an evil, unbelieving heart and falling away from the living God. So I'm telling you, there's a danger there. There's a danger that we can somehow not trust God, not believe God, focus on the problems of this world, focus on the problems of our life, focus on the problems in our marriage, our finances, our business, our jobs, the society we live in, the school system, whatever. Get our minds all wrapped up in those things and forget to be trusting of God, forget about the things above, not focus on the, the things of the kingdom and where we're really going in the long run. So you see, they didn't believe God When He was trying to bring them to the promised land, He promised them He was going to bring them to the promised land. They didn't believe God. They didn't believe that He could take care of them in the wilderness. They didn't believe that He was going to look after their best interests. And they didn't believe that He he was going to deliver deliver them into the land. And then when they went and spied out the land, they didn't believe that they could could beat the giants because they didn't believe that God was able to help them defeat the giants of the land. And so they didn't believe that He was going to deliver on His promises. So the bottom line is they just Really couldn't trust God. They could only trust their feelings. They could only trust their own thoughts. They could only trust their own ideas, their own human reasoning, but they couldn't trust God. In Hebrews 11, verse 6, uh, he says this, and without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is, that God is who he says he is, that he's the Lord God Almighty, he's the creator. He has all power and all knowledge and all authority. He must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. So if you don't believe that, What's the point in coming to church or studying your Bible or even praying if you don't believe that God is who he says he is? If you don't believe by your life and your actions and the and the direction of your life that you if you don't believe that God is who he says he is and that he will reward you if you seek him, if you don't believe that, then you know, what's the point? What, what is there to to hope in then? So he goes on to say, we must believe that God is who he says he is. That's what I'm saying. We must believe that who he, say, he is who he says he is and that he's able to deliver our souls from, from, from destruction and able to deliver us from our sins and our weaknesses. God is able. He has the power. He says he can, you can do nothing about, uh, uh, without him. In other words, apart from him, you can do nothing, he says. If we don't believe that 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 God is able if we don't believe that God is able and willing and and has our best interests at, at heart then everything is lost it's all a waste and it's the most terrible sin it's the most terrible sin I can imagine to not believe that God is who he says he is and that he's able to do what he promised he can do I can't think of anything worse than that And, you know, he has told us a few things. Remember, we read that be a doer of the word, Well, God has told us, I know, in our own fellowship here, God has told us, he said, to be a seeker of God. It's everybody's responsibility to be a seeker of God. You know, what we have today is we have a whole world of people out there that that go to church, so to speak, on Sunday, or they're looking after signs and wonders, or they're looking for God to do them a favor or something, or they only remember God when they have a crisis. But that's not being a seeker of God. Being a seeker of God is when you and I personally seek God we seek him through study we seek him through prayer we look to see what he's doing and how he's doing it in the earth and in our life we're seeking God's heart and will in every matter so we've been told to be a seeker of God but most people don't do that and I'm afraid that even among us some of us are not doing that we're kind of coasting on the teaching or just getting together and having fellowship but not really seeking God We've also been told to deny ourselves of sin and temptation and take thoughts captive and and to believe and trust in the word of God and to obey God. We've been told that and to walk in repentance. In other words, not just repent and then repent and repent and repent of the same old thing, but to actually walk out the repentance by staying away from the very thing we've repented of. We've also been instructed to study the Word of God, to study, to show ourselves approved. As a workman who needs not to be ashamed, handling accurately the Word of Truth, we should all have the Word of God in us. I realize that some have more responsibility to teach, and fathers obviously have a greater responsibility in their families to study and guide their families. But really, everybody should have some time in the Word, and everybody should become familiar with the Word, because things are going to come up when you need to know what God says. We've also been told and instructed to cry out to God in prayer and in brokenness over our sins and failures in life that God may heal us and deliver us and strengthen us. And so we've also been told that we have to bear the fruit. You know, we've read all the scriptures like John 15 and Luke 13 and all the other places where, you know, there's a barren fig tree and where he planted a vineyard and he suspected fruit on it. And, and like in Isaiah 5, there's so many places he talked about fruit and bearing fruit. And so Jesus said a a good tree will only produce good fruit. So we're supposed to be a good tree producing good fruit. And a bad tree produces bad fruit. So we've been told to bear fruit. And that's a choice. That's just, again, going back to obedience to God, believing God, trusting God, and walking with God. We've also been told to love God with all of our heart, which means we put him above all else. We've been instructed in this over and over again, that we love God more than anything of this earth. We love God more than any desire, more than any pleasure. We love God more than any person or any any plans or dreams or hopes that we have, that God is above all else. So we've been instructed in that. And many things like this over the years, as we've, as we've studied the word and taught the word and heard the word, there's been many such things that God has instructed us, how to be a husband, how to be a wife. How, you know, as young people, how we're to conduct ourselves, you know, how we're to, how we're to treat each other, and how, how we're to do business, our relationship with our employee or employer or whatever. There's so much instruction that God has given us. And these are things called being a doer of the word. Believing God, trusting God. This is all about believing God. So if we fail to believe God, if we fail to believe the Lord by obeying him and trusting him, this is the worst and most deadly thing I can think of that we could ever do, to have unbelief. So unbelief is disobedience. So anyway, that's the number one deadly sin I wanted to talk about today. The second most deadly sin I want to talk about is slothfulness, slash laziness slashes slash passivity. In other words, the lazy, passive, slothful man or woman is a very deadly, deadly situation. It's very dangerous. You see, that, let, me, let me just give you some definitions on slothful because a lot of people forget this. Slothful means you have, uh, it, it suggests that you have a love of ease and a settled dislike of movement and activity. It's a temperamental unwillingness to act promptly and speedily when action is called for. It, it, it ties in with being tardy or late or running behind or having things unfinished. It's, it's, it's kind of like doing, uh, delaying on things, putting things off, postponing things, putting things on the shelf some say, putting it aside for another day, putting it on the back burner rather than getting with it and getting it done. It's also one who won't make a decision. They uh, vacillate between two decisions. They hesitate, they're indecisive, they poke along and waste time, they take a long time of getting around to getting something done. They're passive, non-committal, non-engaging, non-energetic. And laziness is pretty much the same kind of thing. It's a little bit different in some ways, but it's again disliking activity or exertion. In other words, you're not going to strain yourself. You're not going to push yourself. It, it, you're not. And you're not energetic, and you don't have vigor. You know, you're not vigorous. Um, and and being lazy is 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 actually an encouragement to just be inactive. to, To be indolent, to sit on the couch when stuff needs to be done, to lay around, put things off. You know, again, it's a lot like slothful. It's moving slowly instead of speedily. It's, it's being sluggish. You know, it's drooping and lax. You know, you've seen you've seen the slothful person, the lazy person. It's kind of laid back like this, you know. The, their life is kind of like this, you know. Instead of them being up and attentive and handling things and getting things done. And, and they hate to have to, to go to any trouble. So laziness hates trouble. It it doesn't want to have confrontation. It doesn't want to fool with something that's complicated. It wants all the easy stuff. It wants everything to be easy. And it it has a whole lot of idle time and do nothingness. Uh, A lazy person is unindustrious. They're unenterprising. They're unambitious. So there you go. That's the opposite of diligence. And see, we're supposed to be diligent people and this is a choice that we have but the, but I'm just talking about how deadly this sin is this sin of slothfulness and laziness and passivity and in Proverbs 20 verse 4 he said the sluggard does not plow in the autumn so he It begs in the harvest and has nothing. You know, that's kind of like, you know, like Paul said if man won't work, don't let him eat because, you know, he's not deserving to eat. And in Proverbs 24, verse 30, uh, there's a picture here of the sluggard. He said, I passed by the field of the sluggard and by the vineyard of a man lacking sense. And behold, it was completely overgrown with thistles. Its surface was covered with nettles. Now, just imagine this is the heart of a sluggard. This is what his heart looks like before God. And its stone was broken down. The stone is like the protection around the field. It's all broken down. When I saw, I reflected upon it, uh, the writer said, I looked and I received instruction. A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. Then your poverty will come as a robber and your want, that is what you, your needs, your desire to eat or to have life or the things you need Will come upon you like an armed man In other words, you're, you're not going to have anything You know, th- this is true in the natural sense And it's true in the spiritual sense A person doesn't seek God He doesn't sow his field, his heart with seed To have a harvest of fruit We're supposed to bear fruit And you can't bear fruit if you don't Sow your field with God's word In a relationship with God And so the sluggard, he just wants to go to church Sit in a pew, do nothing blah 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 he doesn't really want to study or seek God he doesn't want to be active he doesn't really want to go to any trouble doesn't want to bear his cross he doesn't want to to diligently seek God in order to find him he just wants to be he wants to do the easy thing pray the sinner's prayer be told he's got Jesus blah 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 Accept Christ in his heart that's the typical lazy person's way that they think they're going to get into heaven with so in Matthew 25 Jesus says this Concerning the foolish virgins, he said, Then the kingdom of God, or the kingdom of heaven, will be comparable to ten virgins, who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish, and five were prudent. For when the foolish took their lamps... They took no oil with them. So they weren't prepared. This is the way of the slugger. He's never prepared. He didn't get ready. He didn't prepare himself. He didn't have forethought. He didn't plan. He wasn't diligent. So they took no oil with them, but the prudent took oil and flask along with their lamp. So they were ready. They were ready for whatever. They, they They had a relationship with God. They sought God. They studied his word, and they were ready when the Lord came. And you can go on and read the rest of the story. And then the Lord did come and the door was shut. And then the ones who didn't have any oil running were scrambling around at the last minute. That's what sluggers do. They scramble around at the last minute trying to throw everything together. So they ran out trying to find them some oil. And the ones who were prudent went in to be with the Lord. And then the door was shut. And then they came back. That is the foolish virgins came back later to try to get in. But it was too late. It's always too late for the sluggard. He always misses the train, he misses the boat, he misses the kingdom, he misses heaven. So that's why it's such a deadly sin. So here's the problem with, with slothfulness and, and being a sluggard. The reason that slothfulness and laziness and passivity are so deadly is that it's because the very thing that needs to be done which is to diligently seek God, to diligently cry out to God, to diligently study the word, all those things, to diligently obey God, to diligently be diligent, the very thing that's required in order to find God and find the kingdom and enter through the narrow gate and take up your cross and deny yourself, the very thing that's required to do that, which is diligence, is the very thing the sluggard doesn't have or apply so the very thing he needs to do he doesn't do and the very thing he needs to do he won't do because the reason he won't because he's a sluggard so it's kind of like he's locked into this death death trap and the only way out is to repent and give his whole heart to God and to seek God and obey God and give up his life in other words Jesus if anyone is not willing to give up his life he'll lose his life in other words the sluggard has the life of laziness, he has the life of passivity He has the life of ease And if he's not willing to give that life up and, 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 and be obedient to God And take up his cross and suffer Because he'll have to suffer to be diligent Oh, it's going to go against the grain for him He's going to have to suffer, he's going to have to run for his life And he don't like running So unless he's willing to do that, that's the only hope he has because the very nature of the sluggard is the very reason why he's going to die. So, that's the reason why it's so deadly. Passivity, then being passive, is one of the most deadly sins, the sluggard, because it, being passive, you know, is, the very, is the very thing that causes him to refuse to go to the trouble of the cross. Which is the only way to life is to take up your cross and deny yourself of whatever it is. If it's being lazy or if it's other sins or whatever, but being lazy goes completely against the idea of being diligent. So, the very thing he needs to do, typically he doesn't do it. I've been running, running into this my whole walk with God, trying to, it's been the most difficult thing to get lazy men passive men get them up off the couch so to speak get them up off their laziness and get them to lead their families to seek god get them to study the word get them to take a stand get them to make decisions get them to lead their family get them to quit loading their wives up with all the troubles of the of the responsibilities of the household and then take the lead on some things it's been an awful difficult thing to try to get the slugger to do anything Another thing that Jesus said, verse Luke 13, verse 23, and someone said to him, Lord, are there just a few being saved? And he said to them, strive to enter through the narrow door, for many I tell you will seek to enter and will not be able to enter. Okay, this is why, this again is why slothfulness, passivity, and laziness are so deadly the very nature of these sins, the very nature of it causes them to, causes the person to refuse to strive. See, striving puts, it means putting forth effort. It means putting yourself to strain, to struggle to get through. In other words, Jesus said you have to strive to enter. The very nature of the sluggard is he don't strive to do anything, he's only going to do the easy stuff. So here it is, you know. Unless he over unless he turns to God, who gives him some supernatural power, this slugger ain't gonna do anything. He's certainly not gonna strive to enter by the narrow way. He's just gonna go down here the broad way, the easy way, and go in with everybody all the masses of people and just think he's gonna coast on to heaven when he ends up going to hell. He doesn't realize that it's gonna take it's gonna take giving up his life. You see, in the natural sense, unless he changes, unless he repents, unless he gets power from God, he just he just won't strive. He not going to struggle. He's not going to fight and he's not going to push through. He's just going to be lazy and die. So that's the second most deadly sin, in my opinion, is slothfulness, laziness, passivity, along with unbelief. I mean, you can you can see how unbelief and how this one is also so deadly. The third one, the third most deadly sin, in my opinion, and these are my opinions in the order I put them in. So don't don't think I've got something you know from the book of whatever first sin, second, third, most deadly sins. These are these are things I've, I've observed over the years. The third one is the third most deadly sin in my opinion is jealousy. It seems like people don't think much about jealousy. It's pretty well, it's just a normal quote-unquote human characteristic everybody sins everybody's got these little problems with jealousy anger a little strife uh, a little greed you know people don't think of these sins. they think oh well at least I'm not immoral or at least I'm not a thief or what a crook or something, you know, at least I'm not like that. I mean, just because I got a little jealousy is no big deal. But the truth is, I've even heard people say, well, it's just a silly thing. You know, jealousy is just silly or it's just a little, I've heard people say, well, so-and-so's got a small problem with jealousy. Well, I wanna tell you something, if anybody's got any jealousy, it's not a small problem. It's a deadly problem. It's deadly. It's more deadly than a cobra snake. It is deadly. So, jealousy is kind of a crazy type of, it's a crazy, almost demonic type of insanity. You know, here's what happens. A person who's jealous, on one hand, the person they're jealous of, on one hand, they wanna love them and they love them part of the time. And then they hate them part of the time. And it goes back and forth between love and hate. So they're trying to love and hate them at the same time. It's, it's totally nuts. It's crazy. And so they want to be friends with this person. And they want to be brothers and sisters in the Lord with them, you know, on one hand. And yet they get so extremely upset if this person that they're having this problem with, if this person seems to have get an advantage that they don't have, they get to be with somebody they want to be with when they didn't get to be with them, or this person is more successful financially and in business or something, and they and they and they have this green eyed monster working in them like, well, they don't deserve they say to themselves, well he don't deserve that. I deserve it more than he does. Why am I not got why don't I have what he does? Or why does he get to have that and I don't? Or whatever. See, it's a very demonic type of thing. And so what happens is And then when this person gets jealousy in their heart then the jealousy begins to fester into multiple other sins and then they start looking at the person with suspicion, they they start questioning their motives, they start judging them this way and that, they start seeing nothing but bad. So their eye is bad. It's like Jesus said, if your eye is full of darkness, your whole body is full of darkness. So if you got a bad eye, you see everything bad. And so jealousy gives you a bad eye. It gives you a really bad eye. And, and what happens with jealousy is the Spirit of the Lord leaves you and demands demonic influences take over. Paul said this in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 verse 20. Paul said, for I am afraid that perhaps when I come, I may find you not to be what I wish and may be found by you not to be what you wish, that perhaps there will be strife, and jealousy? <laughs> I mean, Paul didn't say I'm worried about <laughs> you know, some of the things that we would call gross sins. At the top of the list, at the top of the list of the Corinthian church, number one on his mind was strife and jealousy. That's the number one thing. And he says beyond that, angry tempers, disputes, slanders, gossip, arrogance, disturbances. See, all this is a fruit of jealousy. And he said, I am afraid that when I come again, my God may humiliate me before you and I may mourn over many of those who have sinned in the past and not repented of impurity and morality and sensuality, which they have practiced. Now, Paul's putting all this in the same context of strife and jealousy. So in another place, Paul to the Galatians said this concerning the deeds of the flesh. He said the deeds of the flesh are idolatry, sorcery, enmities, strife, jealousy, strife and jealousy. There they are. They're high on the list. And with that outburst of anger, disputes, there we go again, having disputes, having dissensions and factions, that's divisions among brethren, he said, along with that, envying. So jealousy brings about envy. And then and then he, he names a couple other sins like drunkenness, carousing, and things like these, he said. But you see, strife and jealousy uh, have a connection with a whole bunch of other sins. He said, of which I forewarn you, just as I have forewarned you, as I have forewarned you, that those who practice such things will not... Inherit the kingdom of God and then we have this in James James 3 uh, verse 13. He said who among you is wise and understanding Let him show by his good behavior his deeds and the gentleness of wisdom But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart Do not be arrogant and so lie against the truth this wisdom that is in your heart this jealousy thing, this selfish ambition, in other words, wanting to have your own way, your pride and jealousy that works together. This wisdom, he says, is not that which comes down from above, but is earthly, natural, and demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there is disorder and every evil thing. So this is is why jealousy is so deadly. Jealousy doesn't just uh, by, by itself. In it's no other words, it's not just jealousy, like jealousy or you could say adultery or you could say uh, uh, greed, you know, those things kind of bide by themselves. I realize they hook up with a few other uh, tendencies to do wrong. But jealousy is one of those sins that takes on a whole horde of demonic activity. It's not just jealousy by itself. Jealousy produces every evil thing. It's the only sin in the Bible that produces every evil thing that I can know of. It, it, It produces, first of all, it produces envy. It produces envy of what others have or what others get to do, you're envious. And so because you're envious, you it, it really bothers you that they get to have what they have or they get to do what they do or they get to be with who they get to be with when you don't get those things. And so as a result, of this, of this envy, then you have anger building up, resentment. You resent the fact that they got to have or do what they did, or and and so this resentment breeds anger, and then it breeds bitterness, and then as a result, and then comes in strife. In other words, you you can't get along with this person from the heart. You're not you're not in brotherly love or fellowship anymore. You got issues with them. You're angry with them. You're upset with them, and so uh, this this all comes together and, along with. Uh, uh, disputes and then you're having disputes with them because you're you're, you're in strife and have disputes and then you get into self-pity thinking well you've been done wrong and how could they do you like this blah 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 and, th- and then you're then you start having all kinds of fault finding with them. You know you start looking at them with all kinds of suspicion and judgment and so then you start thinking of yourself as as yourself is better than they are. So self-righteousness comes upon you and you think uh, you think I'm better than them there are. I don't do like he does, I don't do like she does, so I'm better than she is, and then as a result, every evil thing has taken over. And your fellowship with God is gone. You think God is with you when you're like this? He is gone. He has nothing to do with this. You have quenched the Spirit of God and He has left. This very <laughs> this is a very deadly sin. Simply because it brings in so many other sins and it is so contrary to what we've been called to love our brothers, to, to walk in love, to love our neighbor, to love our brother as ourself, especially in the body of Christ to have brotherly love and brotherly kindness and be happy for our brother. You know, we should be, if our brother does better than we get to do financially or some other way, we should be happy for them. If somebody gets a new car and we don't, we should be happy for them. If somebody has a better house than we have, we should be happy and thankful that they got to have that. If somebody has an advantage and gets to be in on something that's going on, maybe an event or get to be with another person that we really like, but we didn't get to be there or we didn't get to go to that event or get to be of that person when that person was. Hey, we should be happy. At least they got to go. Not be upset because we didn't get to go, but be happy because they got to go. That's what love does. And love doesn't think of itself that way. You see the way that jealousy does. So what happens is when you're not happy you know, with a with with for the other person, then all this evil comes into you, and then the anger and the resentment builds up in you, and you commit murder in your heart, because Jesus equated anger with murder. You see how jealousy breeds you breeds all these other evil things till you come to the place of murder. In fact, in in many cases. In many cases, murder has actually manifested. And there, there was a there was a thing on uh, a, a documentary a while back about a pastor who uh, fell in love with this man's wife in his church, and they started having an affair. And then the pastor actually went and murdered the husband so he could be with her because he was so jealous of the husband. He killed him so he could have his wife. I mean, you know. So you see it manifested It manifested in an actual physical murder. But see, in God's eyes, it's all, you're already guilty of murder. It's like if a man lusts after a woman, he's guilty of adultery. It's the same kind of thing. So jealousy is a very, very, very evil sin full of all kinds of evil. And it connects with every evil thing, including murder. In my opinion, then, the three most deadly sins are, number one, unbelief. Number two, being passive, slothful, lazy. And number three, jealousy, envy, strife and jealousy. Paul talked about those things quite a bit. This doesn't take away from the fact that all sin is deadly. So I don't want you thinking, well, at least I don't have one of the three most deadly sins. Well, don't, don't, don't get like that. Don't get self-righteous and prideful about the fact that you don't have you, you don't have jealousy or you're, or you're not uh, uh, found you know, with unbelief because you've always believed God and his word or, and you're certainly not slothful. Don't, don't say to yourself, well, I'm not really any of those things. I'm not slothful or I don't have a problem with unbelief myself. And I'm not, I've never been one to be jealous. So don't get too prideful because see, self-righteousness and pride will send you to hell just like anything else will. So watch out. We got to watch out for that. I would suggest that we all remain humble and have compassion on our brothers and sisters who struggle with sin and who have various weaknesses and yes some of our brothers and sisters sometimes are they're sometimes greedy and sometimes they're selfish and sometimes they act unbecomingly and ungodly and sometimes they get what they don't seem to deserve yeah it happens hey let's just try to help them okay let's let's walk in love Let, let's remain humble and have compassion on those who are weak and who are struggling to overcome sin and, and, and let us give them a helping hand. Let's give them a helping hand rather than offer them only our resentment and our anger and our hate. You know, what about that? I mean, is that going to help them? Is that going to help anybody for us to have resentment and anger and hate because somebody, because uh, somebody's not like we are or, we, or somebody's not like we, like we think they ought to be? If somebody's not like, like we all think they ought to be, shouldn't we be trying to find a strategy and a way to help them become what they ought to be in the Lord? Isn't that what we're called for? You see, we should all be constantly seeking ways to help our brothers and our sisters overcome and to endure to the end and to end up in heaven rather than to do nothing to rescue them from their sins and failures but just let them them die? Is that love? Don't we want to go to heaven too? In 1 Thessalonians 4 verse 9, Paul said this, Now as to the love of the brethren you have no need for anyone to write to you for you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. In 1 Corinthians thirteen thirteen, Paul also said this. He said, but now faith, hope, and love abide these three. But the greatest of these is love. So may all of us love one another and help one another enter heaven. These are dark times we live in now. So let us not be overcome by the darkness ourselves, not by any of those deadly sins I've mentioned, not by unbelief or slothfulness or jealousy, but let us all strengthen one another as, we, as the time draws near for the end of time and the end of our life. And let us strengthen each other with light and walk in the light as brothers with each other and not fall into the darkness. May we all be successful in our, in our goal to find heaven and to have God and let us endure to the end together. May God bless you all. Thank you for listening to The Great Deception Podcast. You may visit my website at www.christianmyths.org for more information for my blog and for my email address. You can also get my book, The Great Deception of American Christianity Without Christ, on Amazon or on my website. Also on my website, you may download two free chapters of my book. I hope you join me next week as we continue to examine The Great Deception.